Hello, friends. I am bringing the podcast back. Had a nice long break since I did that weird <laughs> episode about authenticity. I sort of felt like, how am I ever going to do another episode after that? I've sort of broken my podcast vibe and I don't I don't know where to go from here. So I took a break. But now I want to get back into it. And for the first episode back, I'm actually posting a conversation that I had with my friend Vera Badra, Colin Bested. It was an event that we put on a few months ago, exploring shame and wisdom. And uh, Vera Badra comes from a Buddhist perspective. He works and lives at Willow Dharma House, which is just outside of Toronto. And he's been immersed in a Buddhist Zen spiritual training for the last several years. So he brings a really unique perspective to shame. And it's a really great conversation. And uh, I just want to note that we recorded it on a small lapel microphone in a large room. So the sound is kind of picking up all of this ambience of rain and people rustling and uh, coffee being poured, things like that. So um, I hope that you can have some patience for the sound of this episode. The conversation starts with Vera Badra leading myself, and I think there was like half a dozen people at this event in a short meditation, so I've included that. And then we have about a 40-minute discussion, conversation, and there was a Q&A afterwards, but I haven't included that in the recording because at some point in the Q&A, our recording device died and we didn't capture all of it. But um, if you're interested in being a part of a conversation like this, I'm starting to do a bunch of events, both online and in person, like this conversation was in the Toronto area. So I encourage you to go to my website, discomfortable.net backslash events, and you can see uh, I've got a... I've got some shame circles coming up, and I have a plan in August to do a four-week shame course where we'll really dive in in an interactive and experiential way into toxic shame and how how to manage it, where it comes from, things like that. And um, so you can sign up for those things on my website, or I also have a, a meetup group called Getting Discomfortable with Shame. And I'm on Eventbrite now, and um, I have a discomfortable Twitter as well. And also, there's like a mailing list that you can join on my website. So, uh, yeah, I would love to have some people join my online course and these shame circles that I'm doing. And you can join into a conversation about shame, and we can kind of um, connect and learn together how to deal with this crazy emotion. 
getting discomfortable with shame and wisdom. We're taking our time, beginning such things, such conversations with silence. May we be able to hear the birds, hear the rain, hear the heaters, hear our own hearts. Slow down so we can hear each other in real time. Giving yourself time to let your body breathe. Let your body show you how to cool down or warm up or whatever it needs for this body to be comfortable. Energized and relaxed. And this very busy city. So much of the around us happening, within us happening. So any space we can create is a gift. as we transition I just want to express the kind of gratitude for each person each being the presence showing up as we do this this uh, communicating about such topics that can become very central to how we live. So I'm very deeply grateful that you all are here. We all share this space together. And with that, with a, perhaps a few 
deep breaths. When you're ready, I invite you to let your attention, wherever your attention may be, let it find its place in this body. Find a home in this room. The attention arrive with this tiny little community we've just created. This big, vast potential of all the connection across, between, through each of us. time is right, perhaps AJ and I will start to get things rolling, and we'll see where we end up. Thank you for your practice, everyone. Thoughts? Shall I begin? I have questions. <laughs> My question is, what are your thoughts? <laughs> well, I'm thinking about like the shame I feel right now, mm. and it seems like it's a good place to start. Um, and fear is both. And like, what's the difference? And that might be sort of like an illuminating, or what I see as the difference. The, the, sh- the shames that are present, uh, like I mentioned earlier, there's a bit of shame about putting my book here. It's like a story of um, being too self-promotional uh, and that like being a, a bad thing. Um, but then more just a sense of what do people think of me? Um, will I be judged somehow? Will people be disappointed? So like already there's a theme about, it's like some discomfort, kind of fear, but it's about me. It's like, what do people think of me? How am I showing up? Is there something wrong with me, with my position in the group, with um, my status, my relationship in comparison? Is there something about me that is bad? So that's like the shames that that are present. And then the fears are more like, oh, I hear voices outside. Uh, what if what if like a stranger comes in? What if a what if there's like a frightening person or something and and I am somehow like threatened or something scary occurs? So that's like a discomfort, a different kind of discomfort about someone else or something else. It's like there could be danger out there that could imperil me. But like the shames that I'm feeling are that I am somehow myself imperiling myself through like my actions, my essence, 
um, my position in the group, my uh, in comparison. Now I notice I'm pausing. It's like a potential for me to continue. It's also a potential for there to be like reactions or something. I'm curious how that lands for you. I feel more sort of tender and vulnerable now. And I think I was feeling it before, but I wouldn't have used those words. It's like something, so the mix of the cold in the room and being mm -hmm. around people, many of which I'm like just meeting. There's something that feels like tender and vulnerable about being here, especially after what you've just said. That sort of like opens, opens a door. Yeah. I noted the particular questions to just reflect back. Uh, is there something about me that is bad? And then you said, is, is there danger out there? Could someone come in? Someone out there mm -hmm. come in? Whereas I'm like, I'm still like, oh my god, I don't know these people. They could be serial killers. Oh my That's where my, like, a very young part of me goes. A very young part of me is like, how do I feel safe and comfortable with, with people, with any people, even people I do know? Even the people I know the most closely, how do I feel safe and comfortable around that? Which brings me back to, is there something bad about me? Is there something I'm doing wrong? Yeah. And I'm just sitting with that, in the mm -hmm. sense of uh, feeling it and being in the middle of it. Yeah. Is there danger in the room? It's like excitement comes up in me when I hear that question. <laughs> about that. <laughs> I don't know why. Excitement. Excitement, yeah, like, oh wow, there's more possibility in here. I feel a desire to give like a theory, to kind of like give a, a Western AJ shame theory kind of a spiel. I notice, like there's a, I, I interpret you looking at me as like looking for permission yeah. for yeah. me to give you that. <laughs> and I, I could just immediately reveal that I'm very curious about that theory. But <laughs> instead I said what I did. <laughs> that it's like there is curiosity there about the theory. Maybe a question is, do you want, like, do we want to hear the theory? 
I know, I'm quite interested. <laughs> I have theories of my own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine everybody has a theory. Mm. I'm going to give mine. And this is informed by um, affect theory. Sylvan Tompkins. Um, so yeah, this unpleasant sensation about myself. That's sort of the key of it for me. It's an unpleasant sensation in my body. And for some reason, it seems to be about me or like my fault. And I think that this has a good side and a bad side. Uh, this is like something really beautiful about saying, oh, this is not who I want to be. Like a sensation that like lets me know that I'm outside of my values. I'm outside of my sense of who I want to be or who I could be. And there's something um, motivating about that. Something feels right to be like, oh, yeah, I feel that I screwed up. And I feel bad about that action. And that's good. It's like I can now learn and grow and strive to, like, heal that and learn from that. I think that's, like, one of the healthiest like things that we have but then there's this other side of it that is sort of my experience of it which is this interpretation that I am the reason I did bad is that I am deeply flawed and on that side um, it's really unhealthy it's like I can't change, uh, I can't grow, I can't fix it. I am intrinsically bad and flawed. And that is a space from which I am inclined to hide my truth, hide my mistakes, hide myself. And I also feel when I'm in that space, just so unmotivated, hopeless. It's like, what's the point? Because I, suck. There's nothing I can do about it. Uh, so it's like this, it's this collapse. It's like this swamp. Um, yeah, meaningless. And so like for me, there's like this thin line here between something really healthy and human and beautiful and something really disempowering and awful and trapping. And I think this side, which, which I'll call like the toxic side of shame, um, is like a set of beliefs and interpretations that I came by and that many of us come by uh, at a very, very, very young age. And I think the reason shame, as I said, like, is an uncomfortable feeling about myself is that I 
I subscribe to this theory that as a child, we're born with an instinct to connect with our, kind of with everyone, but particularly our caregivers. It's like, I have an expectation and a need that I am, what I am is something that's connected to these caregivers that, that meet my needs. That's just like my basic assumption. And so anytime those caregivers don't connect from me, like I'm reaching out and I'm expecting them to like either share my joy or see my pain and help me with it or see my need and fulfill it. If that doesn't happen, there's this like rupture in me. It's like, wait, I am this thing that's supposed to be connected. And now there's this pain and I am not that thing. I think I got the most basic level, that's shame. A rupture with your caregiver in which your expectation of connection and attunement and need meeting is broken. And the pain connects to this new sense of like, why am I not this thing that I expect to be connected? So it's like your attention turns inward in this very like primal basic way and is like, what is wrong with me? And that's um, adaptive. That's useful because it gives me, it's the only place as a child that I have agency is over myself. What can I do? How can I change? What new strategies can I try to get that connection, safety, to get my needs met? I can't really like reason with an adult. I can't really get angry at them. I can't even antagonize them. That wouldn't even be safe. Uh, I'm not like, I'm, I'm in an egocentric phase of development. I'm a child. Like, everything is about me. So like as a child, to take a rupture, see that I am somehow the problem and try to fix it is really adaptive. That is a way to survive. And unless the caregivers can help me repair that, like can notice that rupture, repair it and explain to me that it's not my fault, that it doesn't mean I'm bad, unless that can happen, my brain, an, an unfinished brain, child's brain, wires itself to that message. So then throughout your life, when shame arises, uh, the, the two things fire together. 
This discomfort means there's something wrong with me. It's just as simple as that. And then we carry that into adulthood. And that, that explains this like toxic side that I can get caught in personally. Uh, an adaptive mechanism that saved me in childhood. A misunderstanding of responsibility, a self-blame, even though I'm just a child, that gets wired in and carried into adulthood where it is no longer adaptive because I'm no longer a child. It actually isn't true. As we said, it, it leads to hiding. It leads to hopelessness. And it doesn't lead to like growth and change. I feel like that's basically the gist of it for me. One part that uh, I seek clarification on is the how would you describe, like, name the pattern itself? Would you describe it as like caregiver rupture turns to ego control or if there's a, I don't want to get too specific, but if there's an example that is in the literature or that you can draw on that paints that pattern, because I imagine that's something we are all relating to on some level, mm -hmm. some level. Well, why don't I find an experience from my own life? Um, I think the sort of like presumptive major rupture for me is around my sexual orientation. Um, and I can, I can actually remember as a child seeing my mother watching television and something related to homosexuality appeared and her face was ugh. And I remember being like, uh, this seems like for some reason I feel like connected to what this imagery is, like drawn to it. But it is a, would be a clear rupture with my mother. It would be, I am an object of disgust and rejection. Um, so it's actually interesting that like the break didn't even happen to me directly in that instance. But because I interpreted myself as connected, like, ooh, intrigued, like excited. And then it's like, oh, that's bad. So like, uh, I am bad. Not, oh, my mother's uh, homophobic, or she's bad, or she has it wrong, or something like that. My desires are okay. 
that's really, really hard for a child brain to possibly conceive of. The parent could even be wrong. That's just all I want and expect is to be like connected. Um, but also, I can't, I don't feel that I could even say, oh, but that's me. Is that bad? Am I bad? Like, I couldn't even ask her. It's just that face. So it's, I want to say it's not just the parent, like, not being there to connect, but it's also when they treat you as, ugh, or, ugh. Like, just those faces to a child will make the child cry. And unless you can then repair and be like, oh, no, it's okay. This is why that happens. Not your fault. I will naturally think, it is my fault. I'm an object of revulsion. And if that happens often enough, your brain wires itself that way. Does that help clarify? Yeah. Like, it gives me a more embodied sense, which is terrifying and horrifying to even touch, but mm -hmm. it gives me a more embodied sense of uh, that look. Like when someone looks at you with a face of, we might use a word like disgust. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm reminded of this still face experiment, and it was... Uh, it wasn't that the parents acted with disgust even. They just didn't react to the baby at all. So the baby smiled and the mother didn't smile back. The baby cried and the father did nothing. And the children, the babies, like you actually couldn't even do this experiment anymore because it was so distressing for the children. So that's an example of this child's like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I be the object of connection? that I expect, want, and need to be. And like, just hearing that underlined, like in my heart, I feel the, the balancing force that you've articulated, this balancing force that Shane is, as a, as a force of uh, knowing that your values are not fully being met or honored or lived, demonstrated. Like knowing that there's a deep unsafety and that is a powerful, trustworthy signal. Mm -hmm. And that points to connection mm -hmm. or something. It mm -hmm. points to something that is truly uh, worth pointing to mm -hmm. in, in all this. Uh, yeah, connection. Yeah, all this rupture and connection. It's like they sort of dance. They they kind of they almost kind of need each other in this moment. Is how I'm seeing it. Or like the rupture points to the connection. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and which is what makes the repair mm -hmm. the the key to all of this. Because mm -hmm. you do need both connection and rupture. Uh -huh. Yes. It's it's actually like the, the chronic toxic shame is a real lack of repair, more so than a problem of rupture. Yes. Yes. Oh. Yeah, I'm already getting the sense that we've covered a lot of territory. I'm just going to look at my piece of paper, 
see if there's any notes that I think could add to this, but yeah, I'm deeply grateful for what I think we've already, the snowball we've already sort of put. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, is there more that you wanted to add to this, or shall I tack on a little thing? I think I'm good. <laughs> okay. So I'll add my uh, thoughts. Great. Uh, my focus, uh, it, I think it mirrors this like, I'm almost seeing like a loop of like connection, rupture, repair. There's almost that loop for me. There's something in there that seems to define growth or life itself. It's like connection or integrity, wholeness, and then some kind of new thing happens. It can be seen as a rupture, a dis dissolution or breaking, a fracture. But then somehow in our relationships, in our lives, even if it takes lifetimes or generations, mm -hmm. societies, mm -hmm. somehow we have, we, can, we just, it's almost like we don't have a choice but to find that repair, to find that wholeness. And that, to me, points to my way into this conversation, which is from the, I'm very interested in Buddhism these days, from the, the Buddhist side of things. Uh, one of the most skillful qualities uh, that's described in other languages, Sanskrit, Pali, or also in Japanese, any Buddhist language, there's a word for this thing. And we translate that word into English typically as shame. Uh, or, or more specifically, we'd call it shame at doing evil. Shame that, that avoids what is objectionable. And it is, it is one of the highest qualities you can cultivate with your mind, your body, and your life. This, this force that somehow realigns relationships in, internally, socially, with the world. There is this sense of, am I in right relationship? Just in these broadening circles. And we refer to that as, as a kind of like shame at doing evil or kind of con concern, conscientiousness. That is just the opposite could be seen as apathy or just unwilling, perhaps for good reason, unwilling to ask this question of, of is there something about me or about what I'm doing, about how I'm showing up that is, that is, you could say bad or you could say unskillful, inappropriate, wrong. Could you also say disconnecting? Exactly. Mm. Oh, that's... Mm. Yes, it, that's perfect. There's something about how I'm showing it is disconnecting. Mm. Yeah, which which reminds me more directly of uh, of just one way one way of working with this, and there's so many this shame thing is so pervasive in how we live uh, and there's so many forms it takes but one way of working with it is like see where we're making divisions disconnections 
and find a way to not just grab one or the other, but like somehow hold both. Like, how do I hold what I'm valuing and also acknowledge the friction, the disharmony, the disconnection, the rupture, and what's causing that on a, on a very deep embodied level, on the level of mind and thoughts, even with our choices in our life. Just you know, finding a way to do what what uh, people in the in the Buddhist tradition might call uh, avoiding divisive speech that splits people apart, and working on in- integrative, whole wholehearted speech that somehow brings people together, especially with ourselves, with our self-talk, mm-hmm. with how we live. Can we demonstrate that transforming this? Distinction and diversity, this device, these divides within us into a greater wholeness that has all this complexity. Because it's one thing to just never test a relationship, to never express who we fully are, mm-hmm. to never risk a rupture, mm-hmm. and to just live in that stage mm-hmm. of being a big middling connection. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In particular, there are some very well-respected Buddhist teachers who you could translate some of their words as, I've spent 20, 40 years walking a spiritual path, for instance, in Zen Buddhism, Japanese Zen Buddhism. The only thing I've learned is shame. That's Mm -hmm. how you could translate some of the words in their interviews. Again, it's just translation. But the only thing, and these people... They, they've practiced not lying for their whole life. They've taken vows to not lie. They demonstrate that. They show up every day. And they say that the quality is uh, I avoid what is objectionable. I avoid what is what is evil. I avoid, I identify what's causing that, the disconnection. And find a way to find harmony. That's another word that, that they might use. Like mm-hmm. they say, harmony is best. Harmony is best. And it's not, harmony is not monotony. Harmony. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I feel like that is enough from my side. There's some more things that we might get into. Can I react to that, please? I'm really heartened by the harmony and connection because when I hear shame for doing evil, bad action, right action, I feel distrust because I was enrolled in a culture that told me that I was, that my sexual orientation was evil, that my sexual orientation was bad amongst other things. So when someone says those words, I feel shame and anger and rebellion, like, who are you to tell me? But when you say connection or disconnection, um, that just lands as very, like, yes. Whether evil or good, I don't know, but I desire connection. I just know that true in me. And so I can get behind that, and, and I could say, like, am I, am I being evil towards the environment? Like, well, I don't know. But am I connecting as fully as I could with the environment? Like, no. 
And so that right there is a, an approach to where I am in like wrong action that feels really um, non-shaming. Yeah, like am, am, I, am I fully connecting with this group or with this person or with this issue? Like, no. And that, I, don't know, I feel like inspired and drawn towards that. Trust speaks, <laughs> and it says, <laughs> love more, <laughs> more harmony. Trust speaks, and it says, love more. Mm. It's my attempt to reflect what you just said, actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, like, the environment is calling to you. Like, the environment is saying, could you be in connection with me, AJ? Could you take care of me mm -hmm. a little more mindfully or whatever? I didn't really know what, what generated that, but that's what I hear. And it's hard. It's so... It's... It, it, it matters. It, like, rips at you. At least in my, in my experience. Like, when, when that kind of uh, self-judgment comes up, it's like... You just have to let it do its job and find that repair. And like, but if I if I, I find if I if a self judgment comes up and I ignore it, I'm creating another kind of rupture. Yeah. Yet another rupture. Yeah. So it's just how can we, through vulnerability, find anti fragility. There's one other thing I'd like to add, and then I notice like a desire maybe to open it up to the group. Um, this this um, this shame, like when I feel like oh, I've done bad. Something I've really noticed recently is that there needs to be a polarity between feeling good and feeling bad. So when I'm in chronic shame, and I'm feeling bad about myself, I feel emotion, and then I feel more shame, it is so debilitating. It makes me so unmotivated. It seems so insoluble. But when I'm feeling good about myself, and in connection, and like love, and self-compassion, and then I feel shame, it's so motivating. It's like, oh, I want to go back to feeling good. I want to go back to feeling proud and loving. So I want to fix this. I want to deal with this. I, you know, like, it's just like, yes, let's do this right now. So I've just noticed that, like, I need, I can't hold, if I am constantly held in shame, it is, it is also extremely debilitating and unmotivating. So there is, like, uh, a kind of ground of self-love that is necessary for that those eruptions of shame to be useful for me. I want to add one more thing, <laughs> if it's okay. Yes, please. So another quote from a Zen master. His name is Shoto Harada Roshi. He's my teacher's teacher, or my teacher's teacher's teacher. He's a real man. You can go meet him in Japan. Uh, he's a Zen master. Uh, a quote from him translated to English. He's just talking about how precious it is to be in the realm of humans. But what does he mean by that? 
That means when we experience this being so deeply ashamed that we are unable to tell others what we did. That is, that is what he describes as the animal realm. It's just isolation. But somehow, if we experience and come to know shame as a feeling of wanting to better ourselves, when it's balanced with joy, I, my body was just like, yes. When we want to make progress and develop within, this is precious. This is like what it means to be human in this human realm. But it goes too far that if we only feel these states of flow and joy and bliss, these heavenly states and these heavenly realms, it's just as if we were ignoring all the parts of ourselves and of others, ignoring the disconnection with the environment, with people we interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. So just the precarity, the preciousness of, of balancing mm -hmm. the, the work with, with the other work, with the work of the shame, with the work of, of the bliss mm -hmm. that can come when we are actually like, when we move through the cycle, when we move through the rupture to the rupture. If you enjoyed this conversation, I encourage you to join one of my new shame events. I'm doing some shame circles where we talk about shame in a meta-conversation style, um, noting, almost like a form of social meditation, the feelings, sensations, and emotions that arise in us as we talk about shame. And I'm also doing a four-week course on shame in August, where we'll do an interactive, experiential deep dive into where our toxic shame comes from and how we can better learn to reinterpret it, befriend it, and manage it in healthier ways. So you can check out the events at my website at www.discomfortable.net backslash events.